I got nothing. What, did he, what was it? What was that? Mm. I looked to John. It was sad. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> oh. Thanks. Helpful. You're welcome. I'm just trying to produce constructive sad. criticism. No, you're being an ass. That too. I can do both. He's in the corner. He can do what he wants. Anyway, uh, welcome to another week of podcasting goodness. Um, quick up front, uh, the Wasties are playing on May 15th, the Waystation. Um, so you should definitely come check it out. We will likely all be there. I know I will. Um, also, oh, uh, big changes are actually coming to CrashCourse.com. Um, we're, we're revamping the website, and we're, we already have revamped the social media, added some new stuff. So definitely go check that out. Um, CrashCourse at Facebook and uh, at CrashCourseWeb on Twitter. All the social medias. We're on and Tumblr. Which... And, and I'm learning how to use all that stuff. Because I have absolutely no idea how to tweet. The fact yeah, that, Matt's kind of the guru. Of the fact that you can operate media. every video game system blindfolded, yet Twitter confuses you, is sad. It's not that it confuses me. I just don't get, like... It doesn't confuse whole, him. He just doesn't get it. The machinations whole, of hashtag this and hashtag that, which, by the way, is called an Octothorpe. Just some history for you. Thanks. Yeah. Anyway, no, it's, it's the whole concept of at... Blah blah blah. That bothers me. Why? It's just a handle. It. It's like any other. Why couldn't the handle, handle. Have just have been their name? Like your handle should be, hello. This is John Sanders. You want to. But then, me, if you, you ever type the name John Sanders when you don't want the person to be attached to it, then it would always tag them. This way, you have to actually put the at symbol to tag them. I'm actually rather happy that I have another instance in which to use Shift Two. Shift two. The ad symbol. Oh. No other reason aside from emails. No other reason at all. Most Twitter those, gives me one. Most of those autofill anyway. That's right. Um, anyway. And the other thing is, the other thing is, the whole hashtag concept just confuses me. It's easy. You hashtag, you run the words together, and when you click on it, it brings a list of anyone who's used that hashtag. It's actually the fastest way to spread information throughout Twitter. Yes, except people don't like. like yes, they do. I, we've gotten three followers in the last week because I've been hashtagging stuff all week. No, 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 no. At Jim hashtag so sore. Uh oh. It's because everybody can use any hashtag that they want. That it's really easy to be misleading. Now you're over analyzing the thing you don't know how to use. Well, that's what I do. You're sad. <laughs> I'm. I'm. I'm a. I sit as the peanut gallery person. and laugh. I like to st- suck all the joy out of the world. You're good at it. I know. I practice. You're a depressive mess. And nobody loves you. That's true. Well, jumping off of Bittercast, um, <laughs> let's uh, get into more positive things. Yeah. Eh? Why don't you Shall tell we? us about the album you chose this week, Steve? Okay. Arc Iris by, wait for it, Arc Iris. Quite possibly the best album, I'm saying it right up front, that I have chosen by accident. It's clear. Still not sure where it will be in the in the running. We have to discuss it before we really hash that out. But I, I, I maintain, I did choose, choose this album 
by accident, which is not really accident. I chose it sort of at random, just to see what's out lately, and I gave this album a quick preview, and considering our discussion last week on how we find new music and whatnot, I think that was a, a rather bold thing, to it's... just not use it, you know, through, like, hopping from album to album, or from uh, artist to artist, related artist, and so forth. No, I, I just went through what's recently out, and then went straight toward my tastes, based it... on pure previews. It's exactly how I chose the Glitch Mob last week. I just kept seeing them, and seeing them, and seeing them, and I was like, well, might as well give them a try. Right. Took good. some previews and was like, yeah, let's bring this on. It's good to be bold every once in a while. Step out of the internet's idea of what you should like. Or even what your friends think you should like. It's, it's, it's nice to just kind of be random at some point. And I think I got something pretty good out of this. Because it's hard for me to place this album uh, at the outset. I think in many ways you would think it would fall in certain categories like indie here and there but then there's elements this is like an onion layer and it unfolds progressively i mean it's like an onion it has layers bingo You're bingo he got he got it he he fixed it he, he didn't fixed get it. it he fixed it <laughs> that's me the fixer um yeah i mean based on just the first track uh money gnomes i thought we were getting kind of like this folk fusion album but it takes bigger turns later on no and just to just uh to prove that let's give you a little run through of the instrumentation here and all of the members first of all this is spearheaded mainly by josie adams formerly of the low anthem maybe still of the low anthem i'm not entirely no, sure about that i looked it up i believe low anthem it's now defunct defunct well, uh, not in vain, because she went on to some pretty bold new projects here. Uh, she is a multi-instrumentalist and a pretty amazing composer. She went, she, on this album at least, she is the primary vocalist. Uh, also, piano, keyboards, clarinet, and guitar. All that is her. In addition, um, her entourage here consists of Mike Irwin on trumpet and backing vocals, Ma Max Johnson on electric bass, Charlie Rose... On trombone, electric guitar, banjo, and also vocals. Andrew Barr on mostly main percussion. And then on more backing vocals, we've got Leighton Gunther, Martha Gunther, Laura Cortese. This just goes on and on and on. Zachary Tenorio Miller and Robin Rizik on cello, which is very prominent. So probably the biggest entourage we've had in a while. Yes. Definitely one of the larger bands we've had yes. on the podcast, sure. Even on the outside, most of the I mean, I guess Chick his... Corea's band might have been as large. No, yeah. not at all. Not no. at all. That yeah. was a small, tight little ensemble. Was it? Six okay. or seven, at most. Yeah, just the basics of a jazz six ensemble. Six or seven. Six or seven isn't small to me, but I for guess a jazz for jazz band, that's actually well, you know, you know, it's all sixes and sevens. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> Can we please just go to the first track? So oh, we will go to the first track. Money gnomes. So yeah. Um, this song, like I said before, at the outset seemed very much like a folk fusion song. It, you know, it it, it hit those hot, those very heavy instrumental notes. As Actually, far as at the outset, it reminded me a lot of Kings of Convenience. Uh, jaunty, you know, sort of. Oh, no, jaunty is not the word I'd use to describe it. Much more muted than that. More of a silent, joyous air to it. it Soft a, yet joyous. It had a sweet start. Um, it kind of, you know, put you in the mood for what you thought you were going to get at least well this is why I, when i announced it last week i stressed some indie influence like based on this first track this was some kind of gautier imitation here just based on the opening verse but it's amazing how quick that just whittles away although first i want to defend my my reason for saying it it's based on a, a common trend that, that that you see a lot of these days 
quirky choice of instruments as the ones I stated before uh, specifically in this in this intro here and the first verse uh, banjo extra percussion sort of like wood blocks I think you get all this you know in the opening that doesn't really feel like this is stepping out of out of its time at all or out of its place out of its genre and then as I said that whittles away with the B section the section that has the effect of a bridge but it if it is a bridge it's a bold bridge such that it's probably really the chorus, considering that it comes back uh, uh, a couple of times here. But it takes, it's almost like a whole new chapter to this track. And this is a running theme here because later on when she makes her changes, they change. Significantly in both tempo and tone. Yes. Uh, she'll stop on a dime. And it's amazing how Arca has the ability to stop on a dime and to really change the tempo without actually losing the flow of the music itself. Uh, whether it's in the introductions into the A sections or just from an A to B, it's it's definitely a lot more intelligent than what you see in a lot of those changes. And it's refreshing to hear these because not only are is that, that speed, and I love it when she slows down, but it's also the way the layering is done. Because when you go from this introduction into this i guess a section you're calling it the bridge or chorus or whatnot but the oh a no section. when i was talking about the introduction i was kind of merging it with the verse so the verse would the be first the a verse. section yeah the, the the b section that i'm talking about is, is the primary chorus which is the waltz in this first yes. track which but, has this long gorgeous melody across it with and it also well it's a waltz but it's really in more six eight so you feel it more in six than you do three but it's it's, it's, it's different beautiful. uses of the same instruments in both of them I mean, in one section, I mean, there was just such very extremely muted but well-stated piano accents that I just heard in my ears just would every once in a while just poke through everything else that were just beautiful. And this is not how the piano was being used previously. I love that kind of use of it, taking the same instrument and using it completely differently. I'm impressed that you heard them in your ears. It's not where I usually hear them. I, I you hear them in your soul. Yeah, he goes. He fixed that right up. But this is coupled the, with an incredible vocalist. Right off the bat, just putting it out there, she is an amazing vocalist. Absolutely amazing. One of the best I think we've had. One of the best female uh, vocalists that we've had for sure. Um, just not only in in uh, in skill and inflection. Although mainly an in inflection, but personality behind that as well. You know, it's very easy to add inflection, even for something that you're just kind of singing but don't really believe. This is clearly not the case here. Her heart is in every single word. Even the uh, the lyrics just in this, of course, the, the waltz is kind of a dead giveaway. It's in the lyrics. Dance me round, she cried to him. I'll waltz you till you love me. I watch her fly the boiling sky from deep beneath the wilted leaves. Her body screaming for his ploy. Why must riches make us thieves? That's the next thing I want to get to. Lyrically, this well, album, front to back, I think is some of the best lyrics we've had, period. Well, and I say that in terms of, e even if not every single lyric just stands out to you, just pure master of... of uh, Imagery. Of imagery. Oh, sorry, oh he all... took your word. I've been he? trying to get that out for the last ten minutes. Yes, the reason the lyrics stand so strong on their own here is because of the very strong imagery. She's very descriptive in how she talks about every scene she's putting together. You can easily picture what she's singing about. Love has no place in a dreary world, obsessed with shiny things, just unfantastic happenings 
not approved by Cupid's Rings. Unfantastic. <laughs> Which is that? Who phrases it like that? It's it's a funny way to phrase unfantastic. Just as if... unfantastic happenings. It's, a, it's it's the a, most verbose way I've heard of saying mediocrity, <laughs> and mediocrity yeah. is verbose to begin with. Yeah, and it's funny, you know. Normally, uh, when you hear something that's verbose, I guess in lyrics, sometimes it can be a little bit, uh, a little bit too thick, I suppose, a little bit too um, too weighted, you know, for the sake of the song. But there's something about again her inflection which just draws you in that you can't help but love her twist on these simple phrases. Well, it's, because it's... in essence, there's a theme here just in this song, and it's of course the way money kind of ruins love. It's inflection. It's it's inflection, imagery, and even though the lyrics have simplicity at moments, it's the specific words she chooses and how she strings them together. It's it really is just poetry. Uh, that's yeah. that's it's very that's poetic. I'm gonna start. With... I, I would move that further with a doctorate level creative writing. <laughs> I actually would go that far with this. So th- this is the kind of stuff that. Really, I don't often find in music. I need to go to separate. I need to read this off a page with nothing else in mind in order to get this 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 caliber of material. The fact that there's music there is almost secondary, and that's bizarre considering that the music is so strong in its own right. Um, so this is a pretty strong start. Even so, the personality, I suppose, or where this particular song falls is really not at the climax. And it by far from this album it's very strong but it's strong in the same vein as we've had other strong things before it's you can do you can do a lot with indie and i feel like this song even though it's got bold shifts is still indie at heart yeah it's a very straightforward song in its actual presentation uh you're not going to be really thrown for any loops these loops are actually coming up much later in the album it serves its exact purposes and as the first track on the album. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. You do get a little more um, beauty in the vocals, as if you haven't got enough beauty to this point, but toward the end, the outro, because it's leading into the second track, which gets a lot more serious, I think. This, this is sort of a, a light-hearted uh, intro. You know, I was thinking about money. It's kind of something down-to-earth, something we can all relate to. The second track goes deeper. But there's a pretty cool fade-out here at the end. Um, not so much a fade-out, but there's a point in which it gets very, very quiet, and you hear her vocals sort of rise from the left ear, kind of like a serif, and they overtake everything, and it's just her vocals. The rest of the instruments fade out, and then they come back in. And it's, 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 it's on the, the final phrase here, which is actually separate from the rest of the song that doesn't get repeated in, until the end. You could almost consider it a C-section or some kind of secondary chorus. That's, love me please, love me true, love me beautifully. Who she asks most critically is speaking down to me. Love me please, love me true, love me beautifully. That's, it's great. It's, she waits till the end of the song to bring this in. It's interesting. It does a good, good job of actually... Setting up the theme work for the next song, Lost On Me. So the thing about Lost On Me that really gets me is from the moment it starts, it, it's, it's creating this atmosphere and really from beginning to end evolves in a way that a lot of the other songs on the album don't. And I'm not saying that there's not evolution in this album. I'm just saying this particular song has a way of moving that really goes through stages that and and each stage hooks you in a different way 
Right. I, I'm going to walk you through those stages whenever you're ready. <laughs> I just, wait, me first, because I know what you're going to want to do for this. I'm going to It's It's fun. extremely halting in its actual um, melodies and phrase work in the, in the lyrics. And because of that, it just keeps, it, it seems like it's all rise with no culmination. It's pure anticipation throughout most of the song. And I see where you get that. I really do. Uh, I think there might be a reason for that. And it's partially because it seems to be stepping into some kind of dream world here. Even though it's grounded in a, in a very grim reality when you follow the lyrics. There's a dream world aspect to this. And I understand why. Because if you look at the lyrical content here. Holding on, is it too long? Masturbating on a sorrowed mind. Holding on, is it too long? Masticating on an empty mind. Now, I, I don't think we should really just take uh, the words masturbating on a sorrowed mind as a metaphor here. I think this song, especially as you go through it, uh, is really about sort of thinking fondly, which of course can sometimes be masturbating to an ex-lover of some kind. And it, it's there is a dreamlike world to that, I think to something that is gone and dead, and yet you dream of it nostalgically, even if for naught. That, that's what the essence of what I get here, and it might be why it seems to be building, why you felt it seems to be building and building and building, but it will never amount to anything, because whatever it would amount to is done already. It's finished. It also plays up the idea of, well, the, the cruder side of that idea of masturbation. It's... It's it's uh, arising because it is the anticipation, and with the phrase still ours, the culmination of how do I put this without really so starting to sound? You're cheap. looking for the word release. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> it's the release of the emotions. Um, it's dual in that case, and it does a great job of playing both sides very well. That's why I don't think there really is is going to be a release here, even though they're very well. Could be a release in real life, it's just not no, relevant here. The, release, the after, release is the metaphor. The Directly after Still Hours, Still Hours, it goes into a very almost somber scheme. <laughs> the most which, somber release one could possibly it's, expect. It's, it's, well, just think of how lonely and everything like that that idea is. I mean, it's a combination of both, and it does personify both for me. And there's well, musical evidence all over this to support me, uh, to support us in this this, this concept here. Um, first of all, in the dream worlds, the dreamlike state that you get in the very beginning, you have the introduction of a soundbite that sounds like a, a reversal of time. It's actually the kind of soundbite that you get when you when you play something in reverse. You get those really harsh peaks, you know, because they're they're sliding up as opposed to playing instantly as a high attack. Instead, it's a low attack, harsh decay. You know, that's, that's the inverse of, of something when you play it in reverse. And that right there often is used as, um, as a metaphor for nostalgia. So if you play something in reverse, you start to think of it in reverse. And lots of... Uh, I, I actually... It, it brings me back to certain video games, such as Braid, for instance, yeah. where you can actually reverse time and whatnot. They would use that soundbite because well, not they, only would you be going briefly back in time, but so would the, the music. music. The music would reverse as you reversed. Yeah. Also, Prince of Persia is very well Did that as that. well, yeah. Exactly. And it was that... It's, I get that concept. I yeah. understand where and you're coming from. And from that soundbite, it, it invokes memories. Now, beyond that, getting into a little bit uh, more technical musical stuff here, we start out with something that's 
it's an amyxolydian, right? That mixolydian is that is that mode which just is very similar to a major mode, but it's got that flat seven. In other words, generally like happy, everything seems to be okay, but that flat seven seems to imply a little bit of awkwardness to it. And you get that awkwardness throughout this track here. Like something should be joyous, but is simply not. Again, going back to masturbating on a sorrowed mind. That kind of speaks for something well, that also, should not be joyous. The line masturbating on a sorrowed mind is a self-reflective statement as well because it's actually medically proven that a self-release um, can cause depression. Hmm. So masturbating... Yeah, yeah, conversely, can also be therapeutic. So yes. It, that's it, the... Well, it depends, on your mental, it depends on your mental state and your emotional well-being, but it, uh, a depressed person masturbating will perpetuate depression. And so it can be commenting on that as well. Very well can. I mean, there's, that's why I think a lot of this song is an illusion, and that's why I interpret it in the beginning as sort of a dreamlike state. It's, it's, it's an illusion of, of happiness. That's what that, that action would entail when right. you take to doing that action, because it's, it's fruitless, absolutely fruitless. Well, the idea of staying in a... It also can be compared to staying in a dead relationship and using that masturbation as a release, but the reality that you're with someone who you are not getting that fulfillment from, and it just makes it worse. So you're dreaming of something that would be better, even though it doesn't exist. Yeah, and this is dripping throughout the, uh, the lyrics here. Our molding minds are rotting waste. Or each other's second faces, right? Yeah. That that's that's so removed. You could not get any less connected than that. Yeah. So, this uh, this 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 song really throws a lot at you, I think, for a second song. But it's not done yet because then after that you go into these. First of all, for this for this uh, mixolydian section here, this awkward part. It's it's foreshadowing in a way because you get these long longing melodies. You have this ethereal piano, but then that's followed by this instrumental interlude, which goes into kind of an F. Lydian thing, which is another awkward uh, awkwardness in itself. It's also similar to major with the exception of a, uh, of a sharp four. And the funny thing is when I think of Lydian, I actually am thrown straight back to other influences here. In fact, this whole album is throwing me back to other influences that I personally, uh, that I personally relate with. Because one thing that we uh, cited Lydian all over was Godsticks. Godsticks was like Lydian on like the first, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth track was all Lydian. It's actually, uh, they're responsible for making me perceive uh, the Lydian mode as to be used as art in modern music. But even though it was a little bit fleeting here, I, I thought directly back to their track Caught in a Bind. It had the same awkwardness, which is funny because that was their second track, which is really their first content track when the yeah. first track on Envisage Conundrum was just Convergence, which was more of an opening soundbite. And in the sense of this album, it's almost the same progression. The opening track is not the soundbite, but it's, it's very light on term, in terms of theme when you consider the magnitude this, of this track. Well, this track is hitting every mark. Well, also, field wise this mag the magnitude of this track is also unlike almost anything else on the uh, on the rest of the album there are tracks that also hit it hit it in a different way but this is this song is very heavy very very heavy and i don't say that as a bad thing but it, i mean emotionally content lyrically like it's just a heavy song you oh know? yeah i'm gonna take us on to the um what i consider to be the chorus here that symphonies of words to please your expectations constantly Again, building to almost nothing. It's funny because we get it on that. We're sort of in like a it jumps to A, then it goes to like an F major seven, and she starts singing on the seventh. 
But it's funny because then right after that it goes to C major, which is much more of a release the second you jump to C major. It's like it loses sight of the key areas like it's almost a shadow in the past itself. So you have reflection within the music here, within the chordal changes, you have reflection. So it's really hitting that home, but it's funny because it gives the implication of release with C major. Really, really strange. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an odd, odd, uh, odd progression. And then, I That's mean, why I love it so much. I really like how it's very well tied together with the outro. Um, I like that. I mean, even though it was a, pro, a pro, it was it was heard in the first track, it really becomes prominent in the second track with that cello outro. You really get a sense for the cellist's skill, and it really wraps up this track kind of nicely as it kind of comes to a culmination with that sound. Yeah, yeah there's um, yeah, you know, there, you say a cello particularly. Yeah. It's funny because there was actually another uh, element here, um, instrumentally, that really, really got me. And it brought me back to another influence. Remember I said there's this lots of influence, not just Godsticks here, which of course is not get, uh, influenced for influencing them, perhaps. But it's, it, it's funny the way we've talked about this before on, on other podcasts when we've uh, reviewed Godsticks. And also As Tall as Lions, way back in episode three here. There was a usage of a muted trumpet in Duermite, which was off of You Can't Take It With You, as tall as lines. Almost the sa- used in almost the same exact way right here uh, toward the end. There's these muted trumpets, trumpets just sort of accenting moments throughout the verses. And then they come back sort of in a big way toward the end and, and in all these instrumental interludes. It adds another ethereal quality to this, uh, to this track, which I think is unlike what we hear on the rest of the album. Yeah, and I knew it was there, but I, I mean, you really get a sense of that trumpet cello dichotomy in the next track. Yeah, not too. muted, by the way. Muffled trumpets, Muffled, excuse me. Yeah. I would actually argue ethereal is not what I feel. In fact, that outro would be probably the most grounded part of the entire song. It seems hmm, the most realistic of it. Well, it's this idea that is bringing you back to reality. Like yeah, that's sudden, that's where so, I felt it. This dream Maybe. state is Actually, coming. Actually, you know, yeah, I I think it I'm was, starting to agree with you. It on was that. ascension, culmination, depressive release, and then this reintegration. Kind of falling into reality. Yeah, reintegration into into the real. Well, there is more. the there is the full pull away where we leave completely uh, the song. And, when we go into that whole still hours bit, yes. yeah, still hours bit is probably the most rock sounding uh, part of this track. It's the most energetic. It's the most it energetic. Is, it is I would the not culmination. Cons- I would. I'm not sure I would consider it as much of a culmination because no, it's still the, just like in, you said before. It's it's building but not quite to me. Well, it, it it's still uh, a faux ascension, a faux plateau here. This is not you know the high quality of life that you want. This is really just an illusion. Well, then again, you you might be supported by the preceding paragraph here. Uh, um, the whole stanza, s- swimming in ephemeral seeds. <laughs> the These songs thing, of ours, the giving tree. The whole song this is, pretty is an illusion until you get to the end. It is a faux reality imposed upon uh, by her memories. Yeah. And then I think also that's, that's really realized with sort of a soliloquy here, the... Um, the follow-up to the whole still hours bit where everything pulls away and becomes so soft and slow and it's it's really a, a full-on uh, c-section i think for this track it 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 pulls so sharply away from everything else that's the part where it's take a chance on something new 
And this is interesting because I found, you know, I, I wasn't able to find most of this in the lyrics, you know, like on the internet and whatnot. It's, it's actually, it's, it's, it's separate. I, I think in many, who knew, even knows if it was published? I'm not entirely sure. This, this seems to have, it's implied that this is some sort of insert here, maybe, which a soliloquy is sort of an insert, not content. But take a chance on something new is almost as if it's a preaching amidst this to sort of pull out of this of this fake world that you've been living in. So it's pretty powerful, pretty powerful stuff here. Second track only. Let's hit uh, the third track now, Whiskey Man. So this gives us a little bit of a reprieve from the heaviness of the previous Well, track. it brings us back to indie folk. Yeah. <laughs> so this one is, I thought, had a great folk flow from the moment it started. And what really sold this track for me was the trumpet-cello pairing. It's just a combination that you don't hear a lot, and it really works here. It's just this insane building on each other and, and pairing that I'm just really not used to hearing, and I thought it worked really well in this song. I... It, it does do a great job of uh, outroing it, if I'm not mistaken. But in the beginning of the song, especially since it, it started acoustic and then added in the strings, I was getting a huge Good Riddance Green Day vibe. Um, not a song I love and was a song for... Like, well, I mean, Green, Green Day, well, they're not folk. They're, they're no, some, no, no, some... I mean the specific song no, itself. No, 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 let me get... Let me finish my point, please. They... They... they they're folk influenced, and you see it in some of their songs. But Good Riddance is really just a storytelling folk song. I mean, it's it's a strumming folk song. So getting that connection is not that far fetched. And it was it was taking that sweet acoustic sound, that that sweet lovely uh, violin, complementing both the vocals and the guitar, and adding in that beautiful simple uh, bass beat. That really made this a, a well, great song. That's what really moves the song, too, and strings I, I, it together. I would argue that at this point in the album, especially considering what we just came off of, this is one of the only things that moved the song. I enjoy this song, but it's not its its not as something I had as strong of a connection to. I think, I think on the building aspect of these first three tracks here, to be thrown back to this is sort of the safer part of this album. You know, indie folk, eh, I can find it here and there. Granted, it's still done here more superb than 99% of what's out there, but it's, it's, it may not be precisely what I'm looking for here. I'm looking for the kind of, uh, the kind of brilliance and, and, uh, and intricate qualities that you find in track two. This, there's very beautiful harmonies, and it's all a duet. It's sort of in unison um, from the get-go, I also thought it was sounded a little bit old-fashioned. That's not in a negative sense. It, it took indie folk and kind of spun it back to almost a 60s, 70s folk style. Um, I could hear that in just little choices in the melody. Um, well, you can hear it in the lyrical, in the singing style, too. It was very much of that era. But I'm certainly not bashing the song. I think that mainly is because of, of the music. The bass pushes it along. Well, uh, that drum, the, that drum... Also, an interlude, this little motif that returns, these little interludes where the cello doubles the trumpet. That's, That's what another I was really, about really strong one. I really like the, how they double each other, and I think that that... I agree, though, with John that that beat, that simple bass drum beat, is a great backbone for the song. It's really what stitches everything together. Like, the sound was would have been good on its own, but that backbeat is the spine of the song that really, really moves it. It's more like it's, the core content was just a little bit weak, but I think I think the way the layering of this track really, really ties it together in the end. It's got a great it's, production um, value on it, for sure. The way it thickens up in the second verse and, what's no, and whatnot. 
I think it's it might be uh, a content issue as well because you're right it's it's not nearly as strong as the previous two tracks but it is more approachable and yeah. this is this is a song I was singing along with second time I heard it and I don't I rarely sing along with female vocalists because I'm kind of intimidated with the fact that I can't actually hit the notes they hit <laughs> I just don't I, I don't prefer doing so but it's it's the fact that this is really just a song about something bad it's funny, I had an opposite uh, feeling with that. Like, I, I, I stare at the lyrics right now, and it doesn't come back in the same way that all the other lyrics do. The well, other lyrics, the, the melodies are intertwined with them. They're attached. This, not as strong for me. I don't this know. Is, this is all about alcoholism. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of songs on this album that really deal with some pretty messed up things. Um, we'll get to a few more later on but even money gnomes like it deals with with just greed and the content of these she's approaching the whole band's approaching a pretty like messed up topic and presenting it in a I think there a are satirical way there are things that are more approachable for some people and less approachable for others um but of course there are also things that are a lot more common you know than others problems that are more common alcoholism well it's pretty common and country music deals a lot with it and that's why this song felt very country to me right but also the thing is is that the even though this song is a little bit faster paced and a little bit lighter than the previous two tracks thematically it's still right on course with the other two. Oh, sure. It, it, it very much fil- fits the structure that they're starting to build with this record. It uh, Just one of the verses. Curtains close, your friends go home. Take your wine so you won't ride alone to whatever place this night will be your home. I mean, it's satirically glorifying it. And mm. it, it's that kind of a twist on it, which is what might actually take away from it a little bit. And this comes up much later on in another song, which is the same thing. And I think that's why it's a little bit weaker. It doesn't have the quite the level of uh, that poetic nature I was already fallen in love with. It's, I don't know. Well, don't no, know it's just it the lyrical style is very adaptive. Like, I, I hear the country twist within this, just in, 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 in the words. Crack of pain, cats the rain... With open palms against the plane, like it's you know it, you could throw it right into it, that. Stylistically, it fits exactly what they're going for. Like a, like a tavern by a gas station somewhere like ten miles down Route sixty six and whatnot, away from the nearest way station. This is, it's um, it's in a different world. I'm not gonna say that it's removed from the album certain thematically, no, it's but it, it's not. I do think this is more approachable for a certain genre. Sure. Um, and I also felt that because of another similarity that I found in, in singing and, and playing style, and that was to Mumford & Sons, which I find as one of the most accessible... I mean, even though it's not my personal taste, I find them very accessible. It's, they've been able to bring folk to people that otherwise may not consider the genre. It's yes. strange that they've been able to do that, but I don't know, the way about them. <laughs> that little... That little way they carry themselves, who knows. Either way, I didn't have as much of a connection to this song, because I think I, I, the best is yet to come, for sure. Canadian Cowboy. This is track four. This is an interesting twist, because the title might have you perceive that this is something other than it is, or something more similar, perhaps, to the previous track. Canadian Cowboy sounds pretty rural. Well, sounds but pretty... But it's actually not. The, 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 the fascinating thing is that presentation-wise, this is actually a Broadway ballad. This, this is incredibly theatrical. Yeah, and it's just kind of... 
caught me off guard because again you know Canadian cowboy you think country may be something a little more even more rural than that you know or stick with the folk theme but no this is on stage piano intro Broadway ballad this is also responsible as if the previous had not done it I mean as if track two had not done it but this made me adore her vocal style because she has the breathy release in almost every single line that makes it feel as if the words were powerful enough to draw her away from the music itself, to draw her away from the melodies and to be a lot more down-to-earth in her speech. The term is sprekkesang. Sprekkesang. In which uh, it's a manner of singing in which pitches are sung but the articulation is rapid and loose like speech. Exactly. And this was magical. This was. This is something this that John pointed out. purely smiling. It's something that John pointed out to me in the manner in which she was singing. I was like, that has a name. I know that has a name. And sure enough, the name is Sprechgesang, which I remember well. It's, it's, a common, it's, it's a common thread in like old German opera. But then you see it a lot in, in many other uh, uh, facilities. And this is certainly one of the best I've seen it in in modern music. Because it's a very matter-of-factual way of actually singing the line. Instead of, you know, flowing the words together, you actually would say something like, that don't even sp- uh, begin to spring. Like, actually say that it. Don't that don't even begin, begin to, to spring. spring. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a very, it's a way of sort of using, it's a vocal tool, is what it is. It's a way of using vocals, which are a very manipulative device, obviously, in many ways, more so than any instrument, because they are you. They are you. You have ultimate control over every little inflection. As much as you can try to fake that control over every instrument, you never have quite as much power as a trained vocalist. And she's using that better than I hear hardly any other vocalist use it. Because often there is that, that drive to keep with the melody, to keep with what was written on the page and here i feel like there's a performance in this obviously crafted studio release there's there's personality behind that as if it could never be done again and i'm sure it's done over and over and all for concerts but she has that much power behind each and every lyric and the lyrics themselves are just phenomenal uh one of my favorite lines don't look back envy me let me envy you Let's grinning, greening gold. If just for now, that's all you fell to me. Let's talk about some of these lyrics and talk about the theme going on here. Canadian cowboy. What comes to my mind is this rugged lumberjack type of character. This, Yet this still man. a gentleman, polite of in course. opening of doors. Everything, everything that, that, that probably many girls out there are swooning over. At the same time, there is this... There is this pull away here. There is this, this desire not to quite fall too much in love with this guy. As much as every every word might seem to sort of shower him with uh, with uh, desire, slip your arms around my waist. Let me have a little taste of your worried lips of cigarettes. I mean, this imagery is very very thick, and of a man old and wise, old and wise and worn to tears, only the prettiest kind. Canadian cowboy, you're pulling my mind. There is clear desire here, and yet, and yet. The chorus, new love, even if love's not the same, uh, not the name. New love, even if it's not the same. What a lovely game, what a lovely game. 
There you go. And the inflection in those lines is so dramatically different than what she was singing previously. I don't know how to take it. It's so... It's much more of a matter-of-fact kind of thing, just like you were saying before, as if this is just another phase. Like, there's clear desire here. It's it's, it's being in the moment. It's deep. But as it's... if it's not it's not permanent. There's yeah, something not permanent one, to this. It's the one-night-stand idea, almost. Exactly. It's this idea of, you know, love him and leave him, and it's... But it's sang in such a romantic Broadway ballad style. It's very conflicting, but in the best of ways. It's also because of the man himself, yeah. I think. Not just because of her. Um, it's actually very, uh, very, very vague on, I think, her reactions here. But it may be because of the man himself. Very clear on, on what he is. You search me with your blue-gray eyes. Tell me what is left inside. This house that feels so dry. This shell of a man. It's... It, He's as lost in many ways as, as she is implied to be. So, again, coming off, uh, perhaps not the last track, but at least coming off Lost on Me, <laughs> there's some deep, deep themes going on here. And I found myself a lot more drawn into this track than I expected, because there are changes that come up here, uh, specifically in the chorus. Canadian cowboy, you're pulling my mind. And she has a way of drawing out that final word, mind. And she has a vibrato that is very stifled. It, it, it halts here and there as if, again, she is on the verge of breaking down at the word itself. It's such a short, fleeting chorus. Canadian Cowboy, you're pulling my mind. But the chord changes in here from C major to C diminish, this transition right beforehand. Then all the chorus comes in with this ah, and then G major, B minor, F major 7, and she holds the E. And that's where she goes to mind and the piano fades out and fluffs it up into this ninth that's that's weird that's, that's i mean it's all about presentation in the end you know how i love ninth chords well that again it's all in context you could simply state a ninth chord or you can have a suspension as she does before the ninth chord holding that e amazing and and while we're on the topic of instrumentation there's a really great part around the two-third mark, around like around 420, I guess, in the song, where they have this all of this beautiful stuff going on and then a great, beautiful round drum roll that really follows through with the rest of what's going on and fills right in. It, it, it feels like a natural progression, and it, it really caught my attention because there's really not another moment on the album like this, at least with the drums. You know, this kind of rapid drum playing that felt almost rock and roll, but also still felt very theatrical, which fit with the scene they were making. In fact, this this whole song is actually broken up by uh, instrumentation, and by, by actual, you know, playing around and almost solo work in between the verses. Oh, yeah. Between there, the sections, a, a four-part piece there's a jam in there actually yeah right after right after the um the vibrato of that final of that final line in the chorus there you're pulling my mind that's very very sad moment and then all of a sudden they we go out. into this jam between d minor d minor and g major so these time. interludes really seem to complement the rest of it so well it's a sadder jam, but then again, there's, you can never be too sad when you're going from uh, 1 to 5, so... <laughs> oh, 1 to 4, excuse me. I wanted to skip the jams. Yeah, interesting. I actually... I was, I was so enamored with the way she was singing in this song, I wanted to skip the music. You know, you might have a point there. I think you do oh. actually have a point there, because as much as I love a good jam, I'm not sure it was so needed in a track like this. Except here's, for one part. Here's an interesting image, just quickly, before... 
at this moment, right at the end of that chorus, and I'm going to really harp on this moment because I think it's one of the crowning moments in, in this entire album here. Right at the end of that chorus, you're pulling my mind. There's, on her vibrato there, there's like a teardrop that comes to mind. It's, it's, it's pastoral, like a faded image from years and years and years ago. And I had a very, very odd, uh, odd reference here for anyone that catches it. Manos the hands of fate ring a bell? I mean, I know of the movie and the MST3K bashing of it. Yes, we should all know of the MST3K bashing of that film. But at some point, you should realize that even behind that, there's some very odd and interesting music in that, which gets made fun of throughout because it's 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 very strangely uh, applied, I think, to that film. But it's it has the sadness of this exact moment. And in many ways, that... That movie, a, a forgotten film that never got off the ground because it wasn't very good, it has the appeal almost of a faded image. It is a forgotten relic of time. The quality of the film, the colors and everything, and yet the music from that film is almost the same as this exact chord right here. Bizarre. This is the bizarre little moment that I had. But I think they should have expanded on that. You're right, John. I think they should have expanded on that sadness. A jam was not so necessary. There it's not was, only problem with this there track. There was a great part in that jamming, and that was in the outro, when uh, you were getting those muted horns and the strings going back and forth and actually alternating. The strings would be letting off a long note, and then the horns would step in and get more complicated and do the same thing. Let off on a long note and let the strings jump back in. That back and forth, that tete-a-tete, uh, tete, was really interesting and uh, had a beautiful piano following that up that just brought everything down. But yeah. in this case, I kind of didn't want the piano. I kind of wanted it to end on oh, the I strings liked, and horns. I liked the piano out I liked personally. it. It was beautiful, but I felt like that, that was actually a little unnecessary. Yeah, the, the, this can all boil down to nitpicking at the end. I think this is another one of those strange um, anticlimactic tracks where your climax falls in, in a very gut-wrenching moment, which is almost anything but a climax, pulling my mind. Think of the line, pulling my mind. It's not so much you're blowing my mind, you're pulling my mind, as if it's, it's, a, it's a draw of drawing you away from yourself. Strange. I don't know. Very interesting at this point, I think, theme-wise. There's some very interesting uh, concepts. Concepts that don't quite... Um, they have a way of attacking, I think, something that is common and then putting a twist on it without necessarily saying that it is one thing or the other. It simply just is. No opinions yet. That actually is a good explanation for the next song. Singing So Sweet, which... Singing So Sweetly. So Sweet... So Sweetly? Oh, yep. sorry, forgot the why. Um, <laughs> oh. This song is... A song straight out of a, a, a Western Bordello, almost, or a, a Western vaudeville-style uh, striptease. The this word is... you're looking for is ragtime. The, the, no, you know, this not is, just well... ragtime. It's actually in the imagery of the words themselves, the lyrics themselves, that really have that idea of a mistress or a dancer or a singer in, in a bar singing to, you know, cowboys. That's exactly the minors. kind of thing in which ragtime would have been applied back yeah. in the day. No, but I'm not talking ragtime. I'm talking the very specific style of what I'm, I'm getting visually. Well, vaudevillian pulled exactly. from ragtime really, really strongly, though. That's, that's the thing. So, it, yeah, no, I that. see. And I see where your brain is going to vaudeville directly because of the theatrical element here. And Yet, yes. 
yet the choruses are so sweet, so sensual, and so heartfelt that it's an incredible duality. This is another one of those powerful shifts. These choruses, again, they're like anti-choruses. Choruses you think are going to be something rousing. Instead, here, you have this, ooh, down in thirds. I'm not going to sing it. why, Why spoil it anyway? It's down in thirds. You have this um, a dual harmony here, just rising down in thirds, excuse me, descending in thirds. Now that you're home, I will take my sweet new time with you again. And this again, this word again has this sort of parabolic rise and fall before we punch it right back into that strong horn theme that uh, that's the trombone, the, the, trump, the trumpets, every, everything joins in at this point. This is... I guess you're right in maybe pulling it a little bit away from ragtime in that you don't often hear ragtime with a uh, a, a strong jazz band behind it. It's thought of as just a, a solitary piano thing, but it does not have to be, and well, this is that example. Well, the verses are very much constructed in a um, this feeling of this theac- theac- theatricality for... We'll use it. <laughs> yeah, close enough. Um for but that scene you know that kind of idea like the cor- the courses are very heartfelt like the singer the the subject is getting very personal but then heading it's... back towards the verse it get she ju- he or she jumps back into the show you know i've got to put my face back on i've got to get back into the show like okay it's one of my favorite lines i know uh, matt loved this line too i'm a kitty cat i keep on curling until I am a ball, I keep on swirling between your legs so you can't hide there at all. The, the way she's singing in these verses is very much... It's very playful. It's naughty and playful, yet the chorus is something you would really only say to your loved one in bed. So there's very out. much... There it's, is, a, it's, it's, a, it's such a back and forth. There is it's, a dichotomy there. There's the show, there's the world, the show you put on for others... Yeah, you're trying to get get you know him to blush, and yet the choruses are are like the can- true heartfelt candor. They're candid, yeah. It's um, I think that that right right in it right there is the theme, uh, especially considering how slow and and breathe breathy again the um well not breathy but breathing they the lyrics there they take so much time with that even if though it's just now that you're home I will take my sweet new time with you again. But it's so drawn out. Every little syllable with so much inflection is a result of that melody. And then it's just thrown right back into the heart of it, right back into the mix. It's, again, shifts here. Really, really powerful. Often you don't get this. All, I, I find that most of our problem is um, in music is that the, the verses and choruses are not different enough. You know, you can be subtle, but subtlety is not even within in her language here. It seems it's completely apples and oranges yeah. at some points. Yeah, it's brash metaphors. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we we and the funny thing is, it's also a lot of genre hopping too. Like yeah, so far we've had quite a bit. And all could be quote folkish. But they're or all folk oriented, yeah. or really like kind of American Only a few of them. Style. Only a few of them were folk. The rest really fit into other things. Like that, the, the song before this, Canadian Cowboy, is nothing but a Broadway style show tune almost. Like it, it's structure. I, it's I had sound. a name for this album if I could if I could uh, put one down, and that is impressionistic vaudeville. Yeah, 
I and I like that. And I mean the I was, next the next track really plays into that too. I mean track six, ditch. I mean starts with the singer singing doo-wop, like the words doo-wop, because it's a doo-wop song. It's straight out of the fifties. I mean it's got this hominess, this warmth to it in the sound. Maybe not necessarily the lyrics, but for sure the sound. Like you you're thrusted into this fifties sound, which is polarizing to the previous track, which wasn't was more ragtime. It's very polarizing. This this maybe you could you could uh, apply some subtlety to uh, only because, um, well, only because it's so soft. I think. And actually, John made a very interesting point here that uh, that the words it almost feels like this could have been spoken word at some point. Like this could have actually benefited some, by some with some um of. Uh, strip away you know strip away the music itself because the music is already so stripped it's almost just there i mean how how invested can you really get in the in the 1950s doo-wop sway because it's so slow uh it's just a very light six eight time signature but but the lyrics really do transcend it um so (laughs) it's strange because that's not exactly what i'm here for but you know i'll take it in this case um the the doo-wop actual music really did a great job of keeping the flow of the poetry that was in this song because this is another one of those songs that was poetic and better because it was sung i feel like this this is a great post breakup song which is weird for doo-wop to do doo-wop does the exact opposite it talks about trying to get love and being in love this is that post love song that's true and it's a great form of imagery for getting over the one who left you. Not you left them. They specifically left you. Um, it's got some really, really great lines. I scratch the bones of our once love. In my sleep I writhe and pitch with sharp... Each and every lyric here is just, is just again, dripping with that, that imagery. But who am I to disappear on account of all my shame and fear? What good is that? What will it show to the tinkerers above? The shackles on my shriveled wrist are tight and tethered to your drift. So drift you off to hell and back and I will come along. I'm it's telling you. It's so morbid. It's strong. It's morbid. And I see, I see the subtle twist that's being done, the ironic twist, at least, that's being done here with, uh, with the doo-wop music. But what I, what I meant before when I said it's not what I'm here for is only because the music sometimes does have to live up. In, 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 uh, I, I can take irony to a certain point, but I think there's a standard that she's uh, presented on this album that just inevitably is going to leave me wanting more, wanting more of that specifically. Because yeah. there's things about, um, there's things about Lost on Me track two, and things about Canadian Cowboy that I just cannot quite pin a genre on as easily. I can say, oh yeah, it's kind of like it here, kind of like it there, but this is just clear. It, it it's a clear doo-wop track, you know. Yeah, so musically, no, no. I do long for the original it's, moments, the parts that are that are quintessentially Josie Adams. It's 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 definitely doo-wop, but it's so. It's got such downturn moments in the actual music to fit with this more morbid theme she's going for in the song that it's not just doo-wop. It's adapted. And it's no, it does adapt. There. It does adapt. It really does. And one of the things was the, the, the cello work was really some of the, the best stuff on the album for it. It just did a great job 
of uh you have almost a cello solo at some point yeah it, i called it the interlude not necessarily a solo there's too much else going on but the way <laughs> well, that, then an interlude. the way those strings were being used once again was just taking that genre and twisting it enough to fit within both the singing style and the lyrical style now you're right and she plays around with the um with the the doo-wop style even more than that you know after after the line you my dear are all alone then you get these little triplets uh, that that connect phrases triplets you know you would never find really in a uh, in a doo-wop track so she does make it her own in in points it's just this does this is contrary to what i said before i do think it's applied a little bit more subtly here yeah well yeah i mean i would it's agree. not slapping you in the face the way many other tracks yeah are. but I, I don't need it all the time you're right you're i right. can't yeah i mean i can't find that as a fault like i i get i mean it's no secret to the audience that you are a little more nitpicky than we are although it depends on also what we're looking at sometimes but generally you're you're looking for finer points than sometimes me and john are so i i understand your complaint here but i also think you're just overreacting a smidge i think that this song fits still well to the theme she still does more with it than a standard doo-wop trap track and i think it's still that irony of the style versus the lyrics really works well you're right but you know i'm gonna bring this up later but there's a there's a there's a quality of showmanship here which i think is a little uh it depends on how you interpret it. I could easily see how this track, especially in its placement prior to the monstrosity that is coming up next, could be considered a breather and and uh, an integral part of so showmanship. Yeah, maybe a bookend, perhaps the first act, considering yeah. the the next two tracks are their act an act unto themselves. Yes, but um, but in a, in a certain way, the '50s duop is just such a strong departure. I think of. Uh, a little bit too much of a strong departure for me from what I really want to be her her style. This is a debut album, so it's sort of a chance to kind of like make your mark in the biggest of ways, not scatter various set of influences throughout. If that makes any sense, because it, it seems like she she's definitely a very influenced artist. She's the kind that does amazing things with her influences that most others could could only hope to do instead their choice is usually to emulate you know here and there that's not her style her style is to make it her own but it was a little bit weaker in this one track because she chose to go the ironic route just my point that's it sure sure all uh, right so since we ended yeah, on that note wait 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 one last thing i'm seeing a theme in the in the songs i'm actually preferring and and while we're getting a lot of songs, and this is actually going to come up in the next track, we're getting a lot of songs that are really trying to combine multiple genres together, and we have a bunch of songs that are more sticking to one genre and adapting it to her style and her ideas. I'm finding more interest in the fusions, but more accessibility, more enjoyment in the ones that stick, that, that, that have an identity and stick to it, like Ditch. And a no, great example of really fussing around. That's not how I see it. Like, identity... I don't know. I see more identity in Lost in Me. That's what I was saying before. Lost on Me is not a fusion. Canadian Cowboy is not so much a fusion, although you can be argued at moments. But it, it sticks, I think, more than these tracks do. Well, then we have to... No, okay, now, because I kind of want to avoid it because it's so... This one's going to be hard for me. Oh, I'll take it. So and We're going to do them together. Yeah. Because it's going to so. be easier for me to do them together. That's oh, well, then, Honor the then Rainbows then let, me, let me treat one Honor two. the Rainbows 1. Because the, the biggest thing you'll notice here is that vocals are just 
chorus work here, choir work. There are so, ahs and oohs. They are they, this lacks singing. This is a piece, if if we were have any. And up till now, this this album has been very very defined by her vocal by her lyrics. Excuse me. Yes, this this we're talking of course about track seven and eight, which together are Honor of the Rainbows Part One and Part Two. We're adding the word part. It's honestly just Honor of the Rainbows One and Honor of the Rainbows Two. They are obviously meant to go together, and we will review them as such. But going into Honor of the Rainbows 1, which serves as an introduction to the more meteor six, seven minute second half, um, it is different because, yes, we are left with less lyrics, this kind of haunting nature, but it's a beautifully, it's not haunting in a creepy, terrifying way, haunting in its beauty and this airiness that this track, this, this it's, track has. It's, it's primal and, and speaks to the old school uh, idea of I'm talking like you know pre-judo Christianity kind of idea of magic of the the out there the greater than the fae the untamed I mean it's got an incredible like I think ancient in many ways would just sum it up I mean this is but it's more than just ancient it's natural in its sound it's magical and almost mythical almost fey in its sound well you can find that in in the musical evidence is right here in front of your face there's i found this a very interesting blend of wide intervals phasing into tight intervals it starts out with this openness right that you get first from a heart-sinking bend on a cello which at for in the beginning is all pizzicato it's all just plucking and I, this is when I started to get the idea that this would be sort of a modern masterpiece of composition because it borrows from so much classical tradition it's not even funny it, a lot of times it, it centers around baroque styled stuff but then again it goes back further like I said to those ancient intervals which are very wide usually very open lots of uses of, of fourths and fifths um, but then it starts to get toward that impressionist side, which is why when I started to title this album Impressionistic Vaudeville, I have to not really lump those two words together as much as keep them separate. It's impressionistic on one hand, vaudevillian on the other. Here, we're totally in the impressionistic environment. Yes. Debussy comes to mind here. I actually thought, especially because of the cello uh, piece itself, I thought uh, Sonata Sonata for... um, uh, his cello sonata, which you can hear many great versions of, because um, there's also a violin in it. You can also hear uh, Itzhak Perlman play the violin part. But Debussy cello sonata, poof, it, uh, in D minor specifically, that that piece is phenomenal. And I I think there actually I would argue maybe there is some direct influence here based on the cello style alone. Also, we don't know if if it's um written entirely by Josie Adams. It, it I think most most of this album was written by Josie Adams, but but this track. Sounds like it really needs a cello's a cello's touch, perhaps. Maybe some of it was was written by the uh, primary celloist on this album, cellist on this album. But um, it's it's all just an exercise in intervals, really, rather than chords. It's suspensions and implications, and then knife cutting choir to to top it off, almost like the soundtrack to the end of the world. Which is why I really liked the way you put it, John, as a uh, as um. Judeo Judeo Christian um, uh, insight into Faye, you called it Faye, you called yeah, it? it's sort of um, you're. I got a, a really strong visual 
idea of just desolation interspersed with just life. The ambiance, which is where yeah, I get those sharp edges. The ambiance of this song is very ethereal, very other otherworldly, but not in the sense of outer space. It's otherworldly <laughs> in the sense of an another plane of existence, which is where this fey well, kind of no. I comes see. From. There's something very worldly to this. I actually yeah. would not use ethereal as the word here. Maybe if you want to consider a separate voice, for instance, the the when the choir steps in, that seems to be ethereal in its way. But the cello is grounded in reality and all the struggles that come with reality, which is why it can be very open and free and at the same time very constrained, compact. And that's when you get these very uh these flurries these these this flourish of of arpeggiation here which i would i would argue that most of this is built on uh on an a major this this the groundwork for the framework of this of this track is built on an a major sort of a second inversion and then it expands the chorus steps in with this mode mixture sort of taking it back down to a minor so again dramatic shifts just from chords we're going from a but then again we're switching all of those uh all of those flats are just stepping in at once, and it moves through so many chords at once. You hear it going from Phrygian to Dorian, all these different modes. It, it's, it is the culmination of all the previous uh, intricacies back in Lost on Me, back in Canadian Cowboy. I think this is that culmination we've been waiting for. And we, interesting that we get it in instrumental and not with her voice, which otherwise is so pervasive. But this is a great... Introduction and setup, because I can't divorce it from uh, part two. It's a great introduction to the <laughs> visual ballet, the auditory ballet I got in part two, which was just pure theatrical and had, as we said before, she, she the, the whole band loves to mess with tempos. Um, this had some amazing work with the control of the actual flow of the music, the control of the tempo of the music, and was pretty astounding that way. Considering uh, how strong, or at least the climactic pitches that Honor of the Rainbows 1 has, I tended to perceive Honor of the Rainbows 2 as a lot more enigmatic. Um, Even in the chorus, changing faces, or changing places, places, switching places, I think at some point it says faces, but in any case, there is tension there. You hear the cello rising with sort of sevens, as if it's kind of just an echo of what you got back in Honor of the Rambles 1, which is why I call it sort of enigmatic. But otherwise, I, I think it, it's a great follow-up at the same time. It it all depends on what you're expecting here and with, with, a, with a part two, because her concept here is, is that it sort of peters out in many ways. This is a very, very long track. I believe this is one of the longest on the album. Seven minutes, I think. Oh, it's up there, at least. Um, well, the thing also about this second half, though, I feel, is when coupled with Honor of the Rainbows Part 1, or Honor of the Rainbows 1, rather, I feel like together they they create this kind of, a word we use, not loosely or liberally on this podcast epic it gets this kind of epic feel and i mean epic in the sense of a story too you get a complete narrative between the emotionality of track seven and track eight combined and it 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 has this sweeping nature that builds and it's all speaking to the instrumentation that steve was talking about that's actually why i use the word ballet 
because of just the the way the music is being chosen to to both stand on its own in part one and to support the words in part two i can't see it being anything but interpretive the the yeah the words her patience was sorely tried and burned and burning this burning was bitter and empty not warm and kind her tongue was dirty with defense turning offense turning circles my love shrank and burned and writhed Dude, that's really, really masterful wordplay right there. I mean, there. her lyrics. I mean, it, it's now it's common knowledge at this point in the record that her lyrics are her. She's a masterful lyricist and she knows poetry. And this this song really does lend to that that ballet aspect that you're talking about. It really does give a performance aspect in this grand scheme and story that it's trying to tell. I think another reason ballet is pretty appropriate for this is also because if you consider like back in early 19th century Russian style ballets you would I think they were some of the most flexible in terms of form like that's around the time when people actually started to consider that wow symphonies are kind of rigid in their way the the form of a symphony even though you can stretch and do amazing things with it they're kind of rigid ballets are the kind of thing where you can sort of make up your own rules in a sense granted of course there are rules but ballets I'm telling you, the kind of ballets that were written back then, and Stravinsky was was a master of this, just doing things that people had never done with the form before. It it makes it makes it so that every single, every, every element, every dance, puts on a new face in its own way, and that does seem to be kind of what this album is doing. And between these two tracks, I think it is even more so what it's doing here. It also gives you a chance to. Uh, to play with how you perceive your rise and fall because in a traditional epic sense since you used the term for uh before you use the term epic i would say epic is the kind of thing that that also has been given very rigid standards you need a specific set of rules before you can be an epic and then here it's kind of playing around with that so in many ways it is a modern uh style of epic because to be a traditional style of epic today would not be epic so, well, yeah, it definitely does give a sense of that. It also, the whole theme of the lyrics themselves are, it's about a woman's pursuit to the gates of hell for love, which in and of itself is really interesting, um, especially with a, a lot of the lines. In her loudest shoes, she clopped closer to her uh, proffered destiny. The devil's door was in sight. I think that's just colorful low uh, spelling right there. I'm sure it's just preferred destiny, but um, it's it's like Orpheus in reverse. Yeah, all right, I'll For, buy that. Instead of instead of reaching Hades, wooing the devil and and removing her love, she instead intimidates the devil so much he actually just sends her back. It's it's a it's a great story, and that's why I also see that very primal, that very ancient kind of a feel to it as well that capturing of the old school which is why i can't consider part one without part two no you're right and just to speak one more time because i seem to be struggling with this um this concept on how she's treating the arc within the arc here the arc of these two tracks you have the very very powerful um i guess foreshadowing and then i think that could be the, the slow decay here could be defined by these two lines Groping her pen, she lay, lost of her rainbow dreams, 
she settled heedful of the in-between it's that that's that's a pull away if i've ever heard one yeah there's there's something very longing about the end, and it's the f- I I I love stories that just kind of explain. You know what? Sometimes things do not go as as uh as as you might prefer them. Some of my favorite science fiction movies end on a down note because it's, it. it's more fascinating. It's more fascinating to see reality. Let's face yeah. it. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, and that's why I've always preferred the Shakespearean tra- tragedies. 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 Where it's hard. Now, tragedy is something I would like to see. Uh, a travesty Matt, of a tragedy, which... Uh, <laughs> wow. A travesty of a tragedy, which is probably uh, redundant, but at the same but time... I per- always preferred... Impactful. I preferred Hamlet to Taming of the Shrew. I mean, I like downers. We get it. When it comes to those stories. Actually, a travesty of a tragedy would might might be negated. No, that would just... Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it would fail at being a tragedy, exactly. So then it would be, be uplifting. Um, speaking of... No, no, I'm not even going to try and do it. Um, so my biggest problem with ending our discussion on All of the Rainbows 1 and 2 is that we have to move on to Powder Train. So Powder Train is track 9. This is the only song I would say that doesn't fit on the record. And it does thematically, I guess. But so Powder Train... This is merely an extension of my argument back in the case with Ditch. I disagree. I know you disagree in the case of Ditch. Far more extreme than Ditch was. Anyway, Ditch Ditch isn't even close. This song, this song takes a country turn, sound-wise, very, very early on. I, I, I nicknamed it the cocaine song because that's exactly what it's about. She mentions the word cocaine at least two dozen times. It's just this bizarre tongue-in-cheek song that's trying to, to be humorous, but I, I just... I let, me, let me be clear about something, because I know you're, you're, you're being really strict with this, um, you know, that this is a, a, a unique thing on this album, but I'm telling you, between Whiskey Man, Ditch, and this track, these tracks are... Om- this is a plan of hers, I, I feel. They, they are the in-between tracks, and they explore separate things. So I'm not arguing their role here. They have a very powerful role. And, to be clear, considering these tracks have certain similarities, uh, one might say that I'd have some kind of bias against doo-wop or country and whatnot, these sort of more muted rural styles. That's not the case here. It's simply about their place in the album. They're very, very different, and they're not the meat. They are the sides amidst this album. They explore great things. They are just simply the I mean, it, it is a form of showmanship. Well, for, it may not have been what I wanted at times, but it is a form of showmanship, and it'll still it, count at I the end. I would agree that it's a form of showmanship, but then I plain just don't like it, I don't think. I mean, I just, I, I, I didn't enjoy the song at all. It just knocked me out of what, like, well, harshly knocked me. you don't see a connection me. to the earlier tracks, but I do. I, no, I see the connection to the earlier tracks, but for me, it's just too harsh of a jump out of eight to nine that I couldn't enjoy it. There's more, the there's irony here song, again. Yes, that's the whole thing. The whole song is talking about uh, how cocaine is being used as a replacement for love. How it's actually uh, the addiction of what love she felt before is is being tried to make up with this false sense. With lines, uh, it's sweet cocaine that guides my trailing id. Id. It's talking about id. It's talking about the inner body of a person. <laughs> the inner mind. The depths of their, their being. This is not just, you know, yeah... Coke. No. It's That's true. why she never says Coke. It's cocaine. I get it. It's I, a name I, of again, this Again, I get it. So it fits the theme. It fits the structure. I still don't like the song. I think it's, as far as quality and structure goes, it's safe. It's predictable. I just don't enjoy it. 
And I, I'm, get, I, 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 I get what you say theme-wise, and that's fine, and I, I concede to that. But I just don't think it holds up. Even though there's showmanship, it just doesn't hold up to the like quality of the album. This is like what I said before, and I'm kind of between in this regard, because it, it it's a case where does irony supersede uh, musical in, entwining? I mean, I, I, I like when the musicality of, of an album is intertwined in a way. I do like changes, but at the same time, the changes can't seem... I had to put this arbitrary. And I'm not even necessarily saying that this is arbitrary. Obviously, using a um, a, uh, a sort of country-esque, um, you know, my daddy left me when I was nine years old. He was an alcoholic. He ran away. You know, that kind of trope that's all over uh, uh, country music. And then my man, he left out on me. He, I feel like that that's here. So there was a clear choice in, I think, using this sort of country blues framework for this kind of track. But yes, it's not quite to, as creative to me as some of the other choices earlier. It's more predictable. So I do see Matt's point on that. I... Yes, it's not the best track on the album. It probably is the worst. Yes, it probably but is. But it's... Still coupled with... It's the with, worst track on an otherwise great album, as we've discussed It's still so a far. really, really, really good song. And the other thing I was going to me. say about Powder Train and Whiskey Man and, uh, and um, Ditch, to some extent, is that even within their genres, like, you have to concede that within their genres... This they are these songs these tracks are a master of those genres. Yes, I, again, my my opinions are not anywhere in saying that this is bad or poorly made. I it's purely taste at this point for me. I just don't like the song. I don't enjoy it. I liked Whiskey Man and Ditch. I think it's just a taste thing here. It hits enough of the country tropes, even though doing them a bit better, to hit the right nerve, to for me to not like it. That said, it's still not a bad track and it's by far even though the worst track on it's by far the worst probably the worst track on the record well we're definitely on the verge of being redundant here but um i i do think you know even much as my feeling is kind of similar to matt on this on this track here i think that these three tracks the fact that they are sparse throughout the album is still creative in it in its way they they serve break up at they break up the album they break up the meat and the meat is really really never falters as we see in the very next track might i deserve um might i deserve to have a dream ah yes to have a dream so this song i mean steve said from the get-go that this song had a very low sound a very and i don't mean low, low. as in volume low, low as, as in the, in band. the band low S- and of the slow style core fame kind of slow core influenced by grunge yeah. and the the element real that really there is the um the very grungy guitar that's beneath all this mm-hmm. that, which is kind of separate from you know these are again we're having a genre shift here but this is not exactly so much of a trope in this case it, it really is is used to its fullest extent here um i adore old low like right uh, ba- the band low around the era of like 94 95 i think um i think that her long harmonized melodies these these duets over this sort of early 90s grunge guitar really, really fits in, in a way. Because you don't often get those long melodies over that style, although Lowe did do it. So this is perfectly fitted to that. Right. Well, also the beauty in this song and the emotion that it comes from that vocalization over 
that grunge guitar. I mean, it really hammers home that heart-wrenching nature of this song. I cried. No, did you? I really did tear up during this song. It's probably one of the most emotional pieces I've heard since The Heist. And that had Same Love, among others, that all were on my like top five last year. Um, this song speaks of wishing and longing and desiring death just to be with the one you love, but desiring it so hard and then being denied it. It's got an incredible, incredible line in... Just in the vocals, open the door, let me crawl through to your home. The vault is open, release your soul. That line, the way it's sung, tears me up every single time I've heard it. It is an incredible emotional journey here. Well, and also the twist emotionally that wanting to die to be with the one you love and being denied death is typically it's cause for celebration to not die to avoid death but in this case it's not because it's not what the narrator wants the narrator wants to be with their true love this idea that that the only happiness is the one you're with and nothing else even if typically joyous will do the trick and that's where the true sadness and depression is I think she has a way of achieving that again. It's also through the breathing power of this track. There is use of silence throughout here. Moments where the We've... where the volume just swells slightly and then dissipates completely. And then she has to pause before she takes that net that next breath of phrase. I, I, I adore that. And again, there's other similarities here. She has the same vibrato I felt in this track as uh as I found in, in Mimi Parker, uh the female lead of, of the band Low. Strange well, that, you know, they her her former um Josie Adams' former band was the Low anthem, which made me wonder if there was any kind of connection here because there was such a similarity in styles here, but it's a style that works for me. I I mean also the the one other thing though is that that use of silence, I mean, we've talked about on the podcast before how one of the most powerful things you can do in music, if done right, because it's also been done wrong, but done right, is the use of silence. And it's an, I will happily say, expert use of silence in this song. It really conveys that heart-wrenching nature. And I will keep using the word heart-wrenching because it's how, like... Really, I felt like my heart was... No more an avid use for silence than in the case of depression, where yeah, <laughs> minutes where minutes, minutes are often like spent. often feel like hours, hours exactly. Yes, and th- this idea that your heart is literally being twisted and wrenched, and, and, and it really does feel that harsh and that horrible. I can't talk anymore about this song. <laughs> He'll cry again. No, no, really, it's... it's... He will. Okay, well, I, let's... I connected a little too much with this one. That's fine. I'll take your man card later. Let's move on to Swimming. So, Swimming is the final track on the record, our track 11 and conclusion. Um, I'm going to say up front, this song didn't need to be here. The fact that it was here... Was gravy, man. ...binded this album oh, in such a way. This was dessert. I mean, this album really could have ended on that down note. At the, and, and the funny and thing been... is that when this track started... When it started, I was actually thinking, oh, don't take it away. I thought it was going to go back to, you know, a a light-hearted, carefree, positive track, much like those other, um, what I interpret to be the filler songs on this album were. But it's not, because this is 
her coup de grace for the showmanship factor. She steps in with that full-on jam, and it's she actually puts on a show. Something this album has not really been doing. I mean, the vaudevillian sense, it's telling a story, not really putting on a show, per se. Here it does that. And this track, I mean, the one word to really define this track is bravado. She's just showing off at this point and doing it well. And she damn well has the right to, because this was a song that actually got me moving. Uh, the chord descent right before that final step in with the 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 ba ba ba's and the yeah 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 all that stuff. Well, it was the fact. Um, it was the song gave you about thirty seconds to get over the previous track. Yeah, that was before tasteful. it introduced what I like to call the Coca Cabana. Because I could I could easily see that this song. Did you say co- was, Did you say Coca Cabana? Cabana. Yeah. At the Coca. It's the Copa Cabana. Copa. I mean Copa. But that may Excuse very me. well have been a Freudian slip considering yeah. some themes here. Um, <laughs> and this is another uh, part where she's really using the idea of Sprekazang. 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 The ability to talk sing uh, to full force. <laughs> and it was once again uh, just... This might be uh, the most interesting, not the best, but the most interesting vocals on the album. Just the way in she in her phrasing is just so distinct well, here. The vocals are kind of secondary to the music, and the, or or rather, they're they're secondary because it's it's not quite as melodic. I mean, there's still a very powerful melody here, but it's really about that jam that that kind well, of ties us together. Then it's even tertiary because the lyrics I think are even still uh, as strong as the jam that's going on there. Uh, because swimming is one idea, but the actual way she links the idea of swimming, and then there came the one who is swimming through my veins. True, true and, and clean, clean was he. he. That is where another little, <laughs> another influence, and I say influence in the most incorrect way, because it's, it's amazing how this album has so far been able to fuse artists, which I otherwise of revel at. I mean, Shower Warden in this case. Shower Warden from My Brightest Diamond came immediately to mind because she's another artist who has, I would say, similar inflection to Josie Adams, at least in the rest of her work, um, but at least in this track, Josie Adams is very similar. They both have their damned, uh, per- their personality is just, it's out there. They step beyond melodies, and that's their power as as vocalists. They're they're not constrained by melodies. They're not constrained by the by the instruments around them. They will leap out based on the words that they wrote, and that's clearly what she's doing here. That's what she's doing throughout the album. But this time again, little minute inflections seem to reach out. Um, even you know, going back to that that kitty cat comment back in um, you know, I am a cat and I keep on swirling around. The, the playfulness. The playfulness. That's it's it's all within her work. So. I'm not implying that there's any direct influence here. I'm implying that I'm implying that no matter whether there is, it's a very very good trend. It's a great trend which I would like to see a lot more of, and I think would carry modern music to a much greater um, peak. I would argue. Well, I also think a real strength in this album, and especially for the musicians that participated in the band, these musicians really let their passion and their personality shine through clear as a bell in the musicality, in the lyrics and in the singing. It's just, you know 
who these people are. They don't. They wear their heart on their sleeves and they don't hold back, and it really shines through. They're they're talking about taking men and comparing them to empty beer cans and throwing them away, and how very little impact uh, uh, they've had on her life. And yet that second verse in Swimming, where she's really getting into that guy that changed it all for her. In his wake, the charms at my windows whispered temptations at night. That is just the imagery here. The way in which the Turner phrase is being used is just very distinct and very unique in, in modern music. It's very refreshing, and this is some of the things that I look for in music, regardless of genre. I I can't get over some of the things that were done in this album, it, just it, just it, from a lyric standpoint. At least you know I think if you're gonna tie together the uh, the the core lyrics here, the ones that seem to be most uh, emphasized, this really is a a the one album. You know, the search for the one kind of thing. Which there are so many out there, but I'd so many cannot cannot reach this kind of climax. I think this is the album after the one has left. This would, you, is the story would you really take that considering considering swimming though? Swimming is moving on. Everything else was just about how sucky and detrimental life is for the most part. Hmm. Nothing in any of the other songs, well, actually gives the idea of permanence of love. No, that's true. Ah. It's really that search. No, you know, I guess you could you could see this last track here as as obsession. Or no, I think this is the track that moves on. This is the one because the. I f- oh, but I don't see that. I, I don't see that in he came. The, f- the, the one, f- the one who was swimming through my veins, true and clean, was he. This sounds like a at least a permanent uh, imprint, at least. No, it's, Maybe there's no permanence, but permanent imprint. It was that first verse talking about how vapid relationships are. It's got that line that, that really stood out between the verse and the chorus, that kind of like pre-chorus, what may strike the curious eye. Well, I had originally... As in a leaf is... It's it's the, the changing of the guard, a leaf flipping over. This is a change. Because the, the difference thematically for between the first and second verse is just too great it went from vapid uh very much skin deep to really some 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 very very in-depth emotional connection well i do see the moving on it's just that i had seen the the first verse as sort of a you know it all seems to be moving on in retrospect once you consider the one in the present well no it's i see it as more of just not being able to connect anymore all relationships are vapid because of the inability to connect. The, and then there came. No, that's just that's just it. Well, we're really splitting Especially, hairs here. Especially, but you're no, splitting it's... one hair so finely that it's barely a hair anymore. Because the reality is, you're both right. Because that's the great thing about well-written right. lyrics no. is they are very open to interpretation. No, I'm more right. Um, no, well, I'm more Mr. Bro- more I'm right, more why don't you right. take us right? Into your wrap-up. This is a really difficult album. Not because I don't know where it stands. I just don't know exactly where it stands. This is an approaching five kind of an album. Um, We talked about the downturns and Powder Train and Whiskey Man 
definitely the low parts of the album for me. But then again, I was singing along with Whiskey Man, and even I have some defenses for Powder Train. Otherwise, all these songs were just... They gave me something different in every single like chord and every single verse. It was really, really great. There was no sameness. There was no washout of, of quality from song to song, which is not something you, you, you'd expect with a folk idea. Yeah, folk can be great, but you expect a lot of similarities. And while there is a lot of differences in styles, the core is still, through and through, folk. Folk rock, folk indie, whatever you want to call it. It's still connected by that idea. That, plus the depressing nature... I have a lot to say about this. The depressing nature, the great lyrics, the beautiful harmonies, the beautiful voices, uh, everything... Uh, the one thing it was actually lacking was monstrous instrumentation. And that would have put it out of five. I would be able to forgive stuff like Powder Train if you really got something musically on the instrument side that made it, you know, scary to listen to, like Godsticks was. Um, that being said, it's a 4-8. It really is just up there. This is a really beautiful album. Um, yeah, it was just missing that one last little thing to 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 bounce it to a, a near perfection. Um, I I mean I want to say at the top that initially I don't think that this this album hit every every note of my personal tastes. There were moments of it. I think on the second and third listen, I really got more acquainted with it and found found things that allowed me to enjoy it a lot more. I mean, the lyrics were definitely a big part of it. The, the thing that was really big for me was that you cannot deny talent. And I'll always be the first to say, just because you don't like something doesn't mean it ain't good. Um, it sometimes does, but not, not always. And in this case, I mean... Even though I had issues with Powder Train, uh, which is really the only song I actually took great issue with that I flat out did not like, it wasn't a bad song. Um, but, but overall, I mean, it's interesting to see this band that sounded at the get very traditional, very folk with a bit of fusion go in these different directions and try these different things. I love bands that actually do genre hopping and there aren't a lot of bands that do that i mean there are some that i can actually think of and that i would talk at length about that genre hop a bit um but but it was refreshing to see this band do that um and their female vocalist is is a standout powerhouse she she can sing unlike a lot of others i've heard so that was of course very impressive to me um but i just don't know that i fell in love with it on the same level Stephen John did, um, so that's that hurt it a little bit. Um, I mean, emotionally though, it is off the charts, and that's where I teeter. Um, it's not a five, um, based on the way I, what I look for in a five. I just didn't have that connection, that extra special, unspeakable th- something that takes me to that connection. You know, I can speak to Steve speaks to technicality, and and John speaks to 
lyrics on th- on the average and I tend to connect emotionally while I did connect emotionally with this album there wasn't that extra something that really made it part of part of me and that's where it lost me so I'm gonna bring it down a little bit lower than John I don't think it's a 4-5 because I think it's still a step above that 4-5 mark but it didn't hit a 4-8 either for me it's a 4-7-5 it, 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 it gets there but I'm just like like John was saying, there's that extra something. For him, it was that extra instrumentation. For me, there was that emotional, that extra emotional connection that just wasn't there. I connected with a good chunk of it, but it just it didn't go all the way. It didn't hit me in the feels, as Sage and Kim would say. So that's where my, my opinion on the album stands. Well, I think in many ways this is a Hear me out. This is a textbook debut album. In that I, I, I detect a slight attempt to prove the band's chemistry. So sometimes you'll get certain odd choices and sporadic changes. And they might seem sporadic, the untrained ear, but of course they are integrated in their own way. Either way, they're bold. So interpreted another way, that's just it. It's, it's dripping with personality. There's very little conformity here. Neither toward uh, larger trends... And they can't yet conform to their own style, because that's still in the oven. So I tend to love debut, jo- debut albums for that very reason. Overlooking those odd choices in favor of the new, 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 fresh. That's, that's why I picked this. And that's not to say that I don't anticipate a future discography here. You know, it's, a, it's a debut album. But music is a very fickle beast in that uh, maturity can be kind of a blessing and a curse at the same time. It's their newness where they prove themselves. And I think the attempt shines through, and I love it for that. Now, regarding a track like Honor of the Rainbows 1, I think the climactic apex of that track almost, just almost, diminishes the rest of the album just a bit. Just a bit, for my tastes. And I know that seems harsh, but sometimes that's the nature of the album. As much as you want to present a story and take people on your journey... Much of that is an illusion masked by peaks and valleys that people can either tune into or tune out of. And since albums don't come with a hey, pay attention button, showmanship and arc are really the greatest tools to bind your album and ensure your story is told effectively, and to the widest audience. So this album sometimes fizzles in that ability to bind it. To me, that occurs in cases like Powder Train, a little in Whiskey Man, a little in Ditch. Again, those are really the three tra- tracks that, that where it does that, but they're spaced out throughout the album, and I know consciously, I know consciously that it's part of the plan, that it's her way of integrating her styles, things that have influenced her, and sort of throwing them into the album. But face it, I love her natural work. I love the work that is so much harder to pinpoint. That's on the rest of the album, and I think the that really hits its climax in honor of the rainbows. Even though to a trained ear, of course, you can still look at that and say, oh yeah, it's influenced from like ancient Greek here and Baroque here. But uh, at the end of the day, it's it's a modern, it's a modern contemporary uh, classical masterpiece. And um, the same could be said in a looser way for Lost on Me and uh, Honor of the Rainbows 2. And even uh, Canadian Cowboy, which has a way of blending and merging in such a unique way. There's just so many other ways in which this album surprises. A plethora of non-contiguous ways, you could almost say, separately. 
So, I think, <laughs> this is going to sound very ironic, but space might have helped a little bit more in certain areas, and then tightness might have helped in other areas, such as binding the strong tracks to the other strong tracks. But it's really splitting hairs. I'd say maybe more instrumental pieces, like integrating the cello instead of constantly shuffling the instrumentation, maybe? Um, her voice is the binding factor here, and it pretty much runs the show, but because of its prevalence, there is a little bit of a sameness in her choice of register and resonance that pervasively leaves other instruments, other instrumental talents hanging in the backwater, save for like the sparest of moments, like Honor of the Rainbows 1. So, I think that as beautiful as her voice is, that's just it. It's beautiful, and maybe might be used in more of a sparing way, a sparing climactic way. I, I thought of her voice like a beautiful gem that glimmers best when worn on the fancier occasions. So, this is sort of an everything heavy album. But the integration is really my only, uh, my only issue. And it's integration on an album and song level because of those certain little separators here and there. I think this is going to end up uh, around a 4.75, around the same as Matt here. Nah, actually, 4.8, 4.8. This is a 4.8 album. There's too much else here that, that, that is groundbreaking in its own right. It's I'm just too awesome. Here. Yeah. All right. I think I, I, I've said my piece. Well, then. Buy it? Let me guess. Um, no, yeah, I mean, the, no, I, I mean, I do want to amend something. I've been, I've realized that I kind of sold my, my, my wrap-up average a little short, because not having something between listen to it and burn it is kind of extreme, <laughs> um, and I actually think there was a fourth option in there, um, uh, when we started. Either way, those options are irrelevant because this is a purchase it's worth spending money on especially a debut album you know a lot of bands struggle in their first couple of years and honestly in the first 10 years is where a band is made or broken half the time and this is definitely worth spending money on for all the junk that people spend money on besides the point definitely go buy arc iris's debut album it's worth it it's on spotify i'm sure it's on itunes it's i'm sure you can buy it in the store Go grab this record. It's yeah, definitely the worth it. The funny thing is, I think the, the one problem with your uh, buy it, listen to it, burn it, is of course that double meaning of burn it. Your burn it could always mean burn it to a disc, which in that case would be just a step below buy it, because then it's like, oh, burn it from your friend. Let your friend copy it for you and everything. So then burn should be well, second so and not third. I'll I clarify, to set it on fire is the worst rating an album can I, get. No, I, See, there, when he the, says it that slowly, it's there, all the more... Uh, we also can include the hunt down the artist and take away their fingers and tongue so they may never produce a travesty like that again. Level of rating. There you go. See, you gotta be more. That's more my bottom rating. With your ratings, yeah. that's a zero. This is my wrap up. Shush. Well, no, you already did your wrap up. You're going back and amending your wrap up. No, no double amending wrap ups. I think this is a buy it. To be honest, no, I mean, it's of course, absolutely a buy it. Hands yeah. down. That's what I said. It, I'm getting it's a little just... upset because Steve keeps bringing better albums than me. <laughs> hey, this is one where I can't even say like I got. I you know I I took from my own archives or I took from my own related this really what, was Steve, one of whatever, my most Steve's, amazing random finds for me Steve's fully aware that last year my album of the year was his pick and this year so far 
my album of the year is his pick. So I, I will get you on my it. side eventually. <laughs> well, we're all very, we're all very. Um, bring something better than Saint Vincent, and then I will be. I was gonna bring Saint Vincent. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. This is why I want to move into um into a little topic here, and it's based on uh, on what you said before, Matt. Mm. You said something about about what makes or breaks an artist, uh, especially within their first 10 years and maybe even earlier. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is the debut album for Arc Iris, and I, I'm feeling pretty positively about their future work here, and I think that boils down to one thing, personality. Yeah, I mean, well, also, the thing is about making and breaking a band now, it's different than it even was 10 years ago. What was it 10 years ago? I would have always said it was personality. Well, no, I'm not saying that it's not personality, but I'm saying there are way more avenues to get yourself out there than there were 10, 20 years ago. I mean, the fact that self-produced and self-produced products and stuff on YouTube can get out and spread like wildfire so easily now you can happen to fall into success. It doesn't happen all the time. That's funny because I think a couple weeks ago that was my argument that people do uh, fall into success. It's more like in an idealistic world. I think the staying power of something falls on personality. That's the difference. And Ah, that's the difference. Not necessarily whether whether, uh, a band will will be made or broken by by 10 years' time, but whether they will have the staying power beyond it. I have a point. Take, take take a look at like my favorite example of a one hit wonder and people who have failed is Semisonic, a band that created the song Closing Time, which was a huge hit. Everybody knows that song. I'm so upset they didn't produce anything nearly as good as that. They had a successful career. They still make albums, but no one. There was no staying power. They still made albums, but nobody remembered them really beyond closing time because they were so powerful out of the gate and then they just never quite lived up to it and that's what sometimes I'm worried about with bands like this having a very powerful first album is also dangerous and I do agree also based on uh, debut albums I, as I said I love debut albums it's not that I don't look forward to future discography but there is a, sometimes there is a loss of, of that personality uh, and, and staying power as a result um, because debut albums are just rife with this uh with this force to be original, and I feel that this album's dripping with it, so later on, you know, who knows? It's not personality you're talking about. It's novelty. Oh, that's that not it at no, all. That's not no. true at all. Novelty is not staying power. There's no novelty no, 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 to no, no, this no, album no. at all. Uh, no, no, Yes, it is novel, in fact, that it's actually revisiting some very, very old-school ideas and trying to reinvent them and make them fresh. Regardless of the level of personality... Novelty, the novelty, not novelty in the negative connotation, but the ability to be novel and unique. Then is I, what I'm talking literal. about here. He's being literal. Then uh, I would the just use the word. But then I would just use the word unique, which is a better word. Or personality, what I use. But being <laughs> yeah. unique and being novel is different. Being unique is just being a, a completely different, intricate little snowflake. But being novel is actually an intelligent way of doing it. Is novel is a word way? that has gained a connotation, though. Yeah, I wouldn't use it in this situation. People, I mean, no, no, I I'm that, using it in the situation in which it uses. The hipsters have taken control in this department. We can't take that word back. Don't we can't. I'm taking the word back because being novel is being ingenious in a unique way. You can be ingenious and be it's very samey, but being smart and about something in a, uni- in a unique way. Being creative in a new, unique way. Personality and staying power comes from someplace else. It's being able to take that novel idea and expand upon it and actually to allow it to propagate. 
If you're brawling to break out, you have to have a novel idea. But if you want to stay, you have to work within that idea and keep expanding upon it. That's probably true, and I, I do think that's often where many bands falter on their second and third. They either think they can... It's just as I said in my wrap-up. It's either, either as they could copy other styles or copy themselves. Well, many bands just copy themselves endlessly, and that's not really a sign of staying power. I mean, the, 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 the biggest problem with bands that do so well on their debut records is that you sometimes curse yourself to not live up to it. And I mean, one ba- the one band that first comes to mind about breaking the mold as far as being able to succumb and overcome their debut album is System of a Down. Their debut album was incredible. And I thought for sure they were going to bury themselves under it because it was it was just so unique. It was different. It was not like anything I had heard at, from the new metal scene at the time. But then Toxicity blew the self-titled, uh, the, the, the initial album, out of the water. Toxicity is my favorite album that they've made. And it was just, they took what they knew and then turned some of it on their head and and expanded upon and 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 and, and, and blew out what they knew and did it in a way that kept people engaged and kept people coming back. And I would even actually say Steal This Album was just as good as Toxicity. It, I would agree. I like Toxicity better because I heard it first. But it Steal This Album was was right there next to it, side by side, when it came to quality and innovation in its field. It was only the... the the weird things they did on Hypnotized and Mesmerized that disenfranchised yeah, me. Yeah, that's where a lot of people were lost, I feel. I think it also depends on where your personality is is most um, strong. Or the, what points in your life your personality comes out the most. For some, it really is in their youth. For some, it's it's in their it's maturity. It, it goes hand-in-hand hand with personality in many ways. And then for others, it's it's completely variant on, on life conditions at the time, whether you're in love, whether you're out of love, when you're in a state of depression, when you're in a state of joy. Either way, you know, one of those could be when you're at your most personable, and then one could be when you're at your most flat. And I have an example for an emotional tragedy setting the standard for a, a, an impactful, huge album. No doubt. Their self-titled album was good. Tragic Kingdom, after her and Tony, who's the bassist, broke up. I mean, Tragic Kingdom was mind-blowing as far as emotion goes. You know, Don't Speak is still one of the most powerful breakup songs of my generation, for sure. And then they followed up with Return to Saturn, where, you know, the band was on their way to becoming popular and famous and better adjusted. And it's just sometimes great work is born out of tragedy and it's also hard to live up to that because you can't fabricate raw emotion like that's that that's definitely true actually one of mine and Matt's and I'm, I believe Steve as well favorite comedians um that I won't speak for Steve on this uh Christopher Titus who really he's got f- a fifth special that's either out or coming out his newest soon. his newest special came out already uh, Voices in My Head which is by far his best one yet I know, and he doesn't do a new special until he's had something, something terrible happen in his life. He loves having something terrible after the fact because it has given him a career. I think that's actually how he starts the fifth one. Yeah. Um, well, the, the, I'm the, back on tour because something bad happened. Like well, the, like new, the newest one was based on he he did an entire special about his greatest mistakes, his biggest screw ups. Yeah. I mean, the first one was about the, the, the stuff he went through in his early life. Then End of the World Tour was right after his father passed. 
His love is evil was all about him he's getting divorced. a divorce. I mean, this guy, while it's it's some really messed up stuff he's going gone Pain through. Pain is a powerful motivator. Yeah, he does a hell of you a know, job he, doing he that. You know, here's an example, and this is actually one of the cases I was thinking of when I was um, citing debut albums versus you know maturity and all that. If TV on the radio, I've been a fan of this band. I can actually say I've been a fan of them for as long as they've existed since their demo album, OK Calculator, which I won't count. Um, but their debut album, for real, was called Desperate Youth, Bloodthirsty Babes. came out in 2004, and here was this alternative, abstract band from Williamsburg, Brooklyn, which before that was actually like a thing. And... They came up with some of the darkest tones that I had heard thus far in modern music at that point. The album was grounded in this in this sort of disturbed bitterness that was very raw for its time. And I can only infer this because I don't actually know the life stories of its members, but Starting as early as their second album, Return to Cookie Mountain, all of a sudden everything was hunky-dory, and this, their their usage of of soul and uh, and synth to the low slow chord negative end was all of a sudden just flipped on its head to be a little bit more relatable. And interestingly enough, this is when the band really took off in popularity because they were much more. Accessible, accessible, yeah, and it was just generally happier tunes. Who am I? Who are they to complain? Obviously, who am I to complain? But you know what? I'm gonna complain because I think that their personality was a little more prevalent within Des- Desperate Youth. It's just my personal opinion. But Maybe this is not the opinion of other fans of the band for sure, but it's my opinion. And you could also be completely wrong. It's possible that her their actual personality was everything after. That's entirely possible. So, and that's something where it's all inference. It's not, yeah. you know, this is the kind of thing that's really based on the listener, not really the uh, the person. You will never know the artist, truly. Some can say maybe they want, they will, or they, they think they can based on listening to certain lyrics. Oh, it's it's like we're one. It's like they know me, you know, bonding together. Well, there's together. that rare chance that you actually know the artist, too. Th- those are not the rare chances that I'm speaking of. I, I get that. Yes. Um, I think though removed all, fandom. I think all in all, though, I mean the the strongest thing in staying power is is creating intelligently without getting in your own way is the baseline. Fair if enough. you can create intelligently without getting in your own way, the fans will find you. But I will concede that 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 example uh, proves me wrong, really, because that's a case where personality kind of won out over staying power because what I found to be the most personable was not an example of their staying power at all Yeah. Um, with TV and the radio. So, yeah, personality is just something that I personally hope for. It's not something that really, I think, if we're reaching a conclusion, it's that it doesn't have any connection with staying power whatsoever. That's um, true. And, th- and speaking of things with absolutely no personality... Why don't we go to our spam mail? Oh, oh, the segue. Oh, the segue burns. He's getting, he's getting better at it. Yeah, yeah, no, a little, a little. That was an If attempt. you fail enough, there will be successes. You would no, know. No, no, that life. is not true. You can continuously fail. That's true, John. You In are fact, an example of that. you're the of definition that. of insanity. You keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. You keep coming up with the same result. That's why we're friends. Oh, okay. 
I'm not going to argue that one. No, you no. can't. All the time, I used to read smaller articles or reviews that also clear their motive. And that is also happening with this article, which I am reading now. <laughs> and who is it's by? Wholesale Women's Clothing. Mm. One of our biggest fans. One of our biggest. Doesn't even hold a candle to Jordan. Oh, Air, the Air, oh, Air, Jordan. Air Jordan Fire Red. Yeah, I, I kind of want to. They just call love him. us. I just want to call him Jordan because actually no, so much they were really fans of us around our earlier episodes. I think they tapered off around the fifties. They must have lost sight of who the, we are. The, I guess they don't. Our they didn't like what we've become. That's you it. know what? Our the only one who stuck around was actually Dre. Around. Dre was the only one that Dre stuck beats. around. That's true. Why do you keep adding the extra words? I like using the very shorthand. Because obviously. people Let might me. confuse them for actual fans. I'm okay with for that. Dre. Oh yeah, Dre's our fan. No, yeah, sure. There are other Dre's. There's not just one Dre. And I'm pretty sure he's not actually a doctor. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he would have changed his name a long time ago. Um, then again, I have the same name as an astronaut, so I should probably change my name. Why? Astronauts are awesome. I know, but what chance do I have then? <laughs> That's true. That's true. You should change your name. You're oh, terrible. Thank- oh, crap. <laughs> um, so next week we're doing Support. something we actually haven't done in a while. We have a, a fan recommendation. Um, D. Rock Lee, who's a fan of the podcast... He posted on our Facebook wall asking us to review the latest from Dumbfounded. Um, Dumbfounded's latest record is called Old Boy John, and uh, that's what we'll be taking on next week. Um, hey, hey, old Boy John. Hey, John. Hey, John, are you old boy? Hey, John. Hey, John. I'm going to rip it off and <laughs> shove it up your nose. Um, so Spelled right, though. Th- this new record is not... This is an artist, Dumbfounded, that none of us have heard, um, and I... It's his brand new record, so uh, this should be another interesting experience. Um, I do know he, I'm pretty sure he's a rapper. It's hip hop. He is, in fact, a rapper, a Korean American entertainer. So we will, we will bring that to you guys next week. Um, it's exciting to actually have some fan recommendations. We have, I want to give a shout out to Kristen as well, who gave us another fan recommendation that we will hopefully get to towards the end of the month or early next month, depending on when we decide to do that next one but this one's been sitting in queue for a while so i wanted to make sure we get to it um thank you d for the recommendation and we will be taking that on next week funny you felt the need to clarify john but that he was a korean american entertainer which i feel is a much broader category than the rapper well actually let me clarify with the broader category it's odd it's it's just no no no. it's uh he's a little bit uh, it's a little bit different you don't actually see many mainstream uh uh asian americans rapping i suppose no, I, I guess I can't think of that any examples to that effect. And it's so, not yeah. just, it's can, not just rapping. That's because I know it's a lot of rappers. It's not just regular hip hop. Well, then chime in, man. Don't leave me um, hanging in the dust. Adam Warrock is an Asian American yeah. rapper. Go. Anyway, um, so yes, <laughs> this is what you have to look forward to next week. More of us arguing about nationality. No, I hope not. Um, <laughs> I can't. I splitting can't. hairs, splitting hairs. It's what we do. It's it's, what we do. It is what we do. Um, and on that shocking note, and as always, music is life. And life is good.